Listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston. Tonight I'm joined by John Crumpler, as you know on Twitter as at Texans Doc, to talk about the Texans' greatest loss in franchise history after getting skunked by Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills, my own personal Super Bowl. How are you doing tonight, John? I'm doing well. Uh, who who needs the greatest regular season game ever of Tampa versus Tom Brady when we can recap yes. the uh, <laughs> the greatest Texans loss ever? Yeah, we we know it's more important. Whenever we did our our preview show last week, we didn't talk about we do like a weekly NFL show too, and we didn't talk about the Tampa game because like the Pats are really boring and they're probably gonna win by you know three scores or whatever you know. Dude, I feel bad for Mac Jones. Everyone's talking about Brady, and I'm just like this poor this 21 year old dude has to go and just look at the other sideline as the city. Everyone wants to watch Tom do better than him tonight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm watching, you know, check down and watch Johnny Smith drop passes and everything else, too. Um, so Houston lost by 40. The biggest loss in franchise history before today was when they lost by 38 to Jacksonville in 2017, their second matchup. And I believe that was a Tom Savage game, too. Um, the main culprit in this big loss was Davis Mills. He completed 11 of his 21 passes for only 87 yards. He averaged 4.1 yards in attempt, threw zero touchdowns to four interceptions. He fumbled once as well. He took three sacks, and those sacks lost 26 yards. His QBR was 0.8. His quarterback rating was 23.4. A quarterback rating this bad was the third worst in franchise history. The only two ones that were worse were David Carr, his rookie year in 2002, which was the worst one of all time, with a quarterback rating of 8.2. He completed uh, six, six passes out of 25 for 87 yards, zero touchdowns to two interceptions, nine sacks. On those nine sacks, he lost 58 yards. So his plus passing yardage was 19 yards in the entire game against San Diego. And then 2005, he had a quarterback rating of 12.1 against the Bills. And he was 9 for 21 for 70 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions, five sacks, and lost 45 yards. So Mills was David Carr bad, had the third worst star in franchise history. Uh, we're like watching Mills today. I just don't know what he can really do at all. So like, is there a throw that you can see Mills make? Because he only completed... 11 passes today and seven of them came in the fourth quarter on that kind of like weak drive, you know, I will say rookie quarterbacks, you usually look for one throw or one skill they have that can kind of get them through the rookie year while they adjust to the scheme of the game and the speed. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what Mills's go-to is at this point. This was about as ugly as it could get. I will say to be fair for him. I don't, I don't want to judge too harshly off of today. It was pouring rain, and that that first throw of the game when he lost the football in the windup, that's when I realized how bad of a day it might be. But yeah, I'm I'm not sure what the positives are to point to from this one. Yeah, I think there's like he can throw curls and comebacks and quick outs to Brain Cooks, and then they also try to use him like on that quick rollout right to get him out of the pocket. And he was able to hit like three throws like that the last two weeks. They tried in this game and it didn't work out. He ended up running out of bounds. And then th- screen passes. 
And it's like the offense is like screen passes and incompletions, and he can't throw the ball to anyone aside from Cooks. He has problems throwing the middle of the field. He can't throw the ball deep down the sideline at all. And, like, I know, like, Mills, you know, it's kind of a – you want the guy to be good. Like, you want him to succeed. And, like, it's only been, you know, 12, 10 quarters of football from him now. But I just don't think he was very good in Stanford as well, too. And I feel like every no. time I talk about Mills, I say, yeah, like, it's only been a short period of time, but he was bad at Stanford. He was inaccurate. He was slow. He threw some touch on sideline passes, but, they're like, his sideline passes so far in the pros don't even have, like, a plan at all. They're just kind of like a heave. And now, like, we've watched him play this much. It's not, like, it's worse than I thought it would be, but I still never thought he'd be more than a backup quarterback, you know? And so I also kind of think he's in a bad spot, too. But it's uh, it's rough, and it's not going to get any better, probably. I know a large portion of the fan base really wants him to succeed, and I think you and I would agree we – I would love to see him do great. It would be incredible if we found our next franchise quarterback in the third round. But I was upset when they made the pick – I didn't think his tape at Stanford really showed a consistent quarterback who should be being picked as high as, you know, especially with the draft capital we had. That was our first selection Mm -hmm. in the draft. I wasn't very encouraged with the preseason for every spectacular throw. There was one that he missed that you have to make at the NFL level. And through these 10 quarters, I'm not incredibly encouraged by what we're seeing. I don't know what what they're – what, what are we building off of? What are we hoping for? Because you're right. He's hitting the things that are schemed open for him or that really pay to play to his strengths, especially when we're playing it safe and he's not pushing the ball past, let's say, 15 yards down the field. But that's that's not an NFL winning formula as we saw today. Yeah, and like and Houston kind of was in a good spot to start this game off too. You know, they had the fourth down stop. They were able to um, you have string together like two big runs to be able to get down close to the goal line. And they had that fourth down attempt on fourth and two to David Johnson, where Johnson's wide up in the flat, and Jerry, he's just running with one arm up. Like, he doesn't even try to play the ball. It just, like, happened to hit his hand. And that's a ball where it's like, yeah, if you put a little bit of loft on it, like, it wasn't, like, a bad luck play. Like, it was a poor throw from that. You know, if you put a little bit of loft on it, you have David Johnson for a touchdown. And that was the closest they got to scoring the entire game. And it was just kind of, like, all downhill from there. And, like, some of the throws, too, like, he missed Cooks, like, deep down the sideline where he was open, but he just didn't have the arm to get it over there. He threw that interception into double coverage where they ran zone blitz where there was a, a defensive in there and a linebacker and was picked off. He had the pick that went off uh, his wide receiver's hands. is a little bit high, and he threw it harder than he needed to for the route also and went back over to, to, I guess it was high to pick that one off also. And, like, I don't know, they're just, like, they're just trying to scheme, to get, scheme together open things but the things that are open they can scheme are so like risk averse and don't add anything to an offense at all. And it kills the rest of the offense. What I mean, the defense is playing to what they know Mills is capable of and comfortable of doing right now. And not that our running game is anything special, but when they're able to key in on it, like it's it's a self fulfilling prophecy almost that okay, those deep shots that he already struggles to hit are I mean, they're they're there, but they know he can't take them. And then what he can hit, like they're taking away because they're mm. they're able to come in on that. Yeah, I was disappointed too with the fourth down. Like I felt like that was. I mean, he was wide open. That's a touchdown to David Johnson. That if you slow down a little bit, I think you could get the ball to him. Yeah, I think and so too. I think. I mean, do you feel like the defense kind of quit after uh, they'd seen a few drives from our offense? Once Buffalo scored, maybe that second touchdown or the second score. I think it was a field goal after the first. 
Yeah, I kind of felt like after they, I don't know, the thing about the defense is it's only good if they force turnovers. And I think after the second score in the third quarter, whenever they went up 23-0, that was pretty much it. And I don't know, like they just stopped tackling in after in like the second quarter too. And they were able to get some stops on third down the red zone, but that was it. They forced one punt this game. They had one stop on downs as well too. And that was it. Like every other time Buffalo scored. And, uh, and it was consecutive. And it was kind of reminiscent of, you know, the game against Cleveland where Mayfield had two incompletions the entire game. And the game against Carolina where their pass rush created some third down, third down stops in the first half. And then the second half they gave up two touchdowns and two field goals and stopped them once that time also. And so it kind of felt like that. Like the defense is, has to, is, is bad too, but it has to force turnovers as well. Um, and so going back to Mills here, like, do you think Houston failed him by starting him so soon? Well, this is a, a multi-layered question. I would say yes to start. Uh, I mean, he probably should not have been the backup coming into the season if we're going to be truthful. So the, the real answer might be that Houston failed Davis Mills when they selected him in the third round and wanted him to be the backup to Tyrod Taylor because he was a huge project. He started, I think, 13 games at Stanford. Uh, we saw a very spotty quarterback in the preseason. Uh, we knew he was a project, and we knew that Tyrod Taylor has a lengthy history of struggling to stay on the field. Uh, yes, I think Houston has failed uh, the Davis Mills project, and I don't. I wonder if they knew what they were taking on, and the, like it was a high probability either that Tyrod would get hurt, or with the talent that this team has, that. Just kind of the season script after 10, 11 games, Mills was going to have to play. And that would be a lot different than this week, don't get me wrong. But this is a guy who has no business playing uh, in his first NFL season. And you're not putting him behind an incredibly a, a durable, established veteran. You're putting him behind Tyrod Taylor, who's great. And I think, I mean, the Texans look pretty good with Tyrod. But he was put into an impossible situation before he was playing. And now we're simply seeing the fruits of, I mean, you, you reap what you sow. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with that too. Like, again, I don't think Mills was good in Stanford. I don't think he would be good this year. I don't like the pick also just because of how many holes they had across the roster. And it's like, do you want to take the, the sixth best quarterback when there's been two third-round quarterbacks in the last 15 years who've been good? And that's Matt Schaub and Russell Wilson. And every other third-round quarterback's just been you know bad one after the other. And then it's like, with that pick, you know, you could get a better defensive tackle or a better guard or a better... Like, they had zero cornerbacks this year. You know, like, they could have taken, like, Benjamin St. Juice or something like that from Washington, who started a lot this year. And so they took a quarterback, and it was, like, more of a luxury. But, yeah, I think I think for sure not having another veteran backup quarterback to let Mills be the third-string quarterback this year was a failure for him. And, like, you can even split reps, you know, between second and third string, but just not put him in there just yet because they can't run an offense that gives them easy throws at all. They have no running game to speak of it all right now. And, like, I mean, they could have, like, I don't know, signed, like, Chase Daniel or something. Like, just signed somebody else to back up Tyrod Taylor and rather have Jeff Driscoll and Ryan Finley. You know, there's the third-string quarterbacks until Finley was cut. Uh, like, Mills can be used in that role, too. And you can still call him up for game day so he has those experiences. And then maybe by, like, week 12 or week 13, if you're 2 and 10 that point, then you can play him. But yeah, playing him this early in the season with all the problems across the offense, with the lack of rece- receiving talent, I think just about you know any rookie quarterback would be in a, a really tough spot. But I think the difference with Mills compared to like you know Lawrence or or Wilson is that those guys are making some throws. You know, they may throw four interceptions, but you still see like five or six throws that are 
you're absolutely bonkers that like, you know you can build something off of. Whereas with Mills, like we're not seeing that at all. Like, there's, I'm not seeing like any sort of throw he does well. I'm not seeing anything he does well at all. I'm not seeing something where it's like, oh yeah, you can build off that. Like that's something there that could be something else in you know a year or two or whatever, more experience. And so like it's kind of like a Boros of just you know awfulness where he's bad and the offense is bad and they don't have a run game and it all kind of feeds itself together to have a, a self-defeating prophecy, especially against like a top five defense like Buffalo has today. Yeah. And you compare them to the other rookie quarterbacks. And the thing is, I, I touched on this earlier, all of those guys who were taken in the first round have one trait that you can let them play through their mistakes because they have enough to go win you games or to succeed otherwise. Lawrence, Lawrence is a special, special talent. Zach Wilson has a huge arm. Fields is a freak athlete. Mac Jones is an incredible, incredible decision maker. Davis Mills does not do any of those things right now. And what's even more damning is that the coaching staff is kind of showing that I don't think they wanted or had any intention to be playing him right now. The game script isn't conservative. And then you're hearing rumors that they were searching for other quarterbacks this past week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't even look like they want to put him out there. So it, it is a colossal failure on Houston's part that we're in a situation that Davis Mills can go out there and lose a game 40 to zero. Yeah. And I like to a certain extent, I feel bad for Mills too. Like I, I like last week I thought for sure against Carolina, that offense was designed. So he didn't die. Number one, number two, they wouldn't be embarrassed at all. And they didn't really run. You saw like quick spread out passing attack. And like the third quarter when they had that one good drive, that was all they had this game. And this game, they were talking about opening the offense up and it was like just more power run plays and screen passes too. So yeah, I, I agree with that. I do think they should sign different backup quarterback for Tyrod. And you mentioned his injury history. You know, he was traded from Buffalo to Cleveland. He was benched there because he was bad. He went to Los Angeles, you know, and he also had a hamstring injury in Cleveland too. He went to Los Angeles, had the the punch lung. And then here in Houston, at the age of 32, with, you know, the things that happened before, I don't think it was unreasonable to, you know, have a better backup in this case also. And so we had a question here from at founder Houston Sports. And he asked, when Tyrod comes back, can they realistically get to three wins? And so we're thinking Tyrod may be here, you know, um, three weeks from now, maybe a month from now. And then that kind of, I guess, leaves you with, you know, nine games. Do you think they can win two more games in their last nine against maybe the Jets and Jaguars again to get to three wins this year? I I think yes. The the Jaguars and the Jets games, unless – so I will say we saw a lot from Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence this weekend that makes me think that in two months they could be something really scary for our defense to face and our beat-down secondary. But – if the team plays like we saw for the first six quarters of the season, which was a stomping of Jacksonville and a hyper-disciplined performance against Cleveland that kept us in a game nobody gave us any chance, I do think that they could win two games because Tyrod adds elements to the offense in terms of he can push the ball vertically, he can move the pocket in a much more aggressive way that like really challenges defenses and he doesn't have the same mistakes that davis mills is making right now and i think the defense i mean one of the problems with the defense today like for all their for all their problems no one can play well when they're on the field for as long as houston's defense was on the field like it's exhausting when you're trying to stop a i mean it's already a dynamic josh allen led offense and you get them off the field and less than 40 seconds of game time, a minute of game time, roll off the clock, and you have to go back out there to start all over. 
So I, I do think that we can win, get to three wins, which is such a low bar. But I mean, <laughs> there's enough veteran talent that, and also, I mean, they'd have to make it more. More will have to happen than Tyrod if you want to take today's baseline. But I think it could happen. Yeah. Yes. And that's a good point. Like the Bills ran 70 offensive plays, even we include Mitch Trubisky's, you know, one throwing attempt, and even he ran for a touchdown today. That's how bad the the bottom was. And so compared to Buffalo's 70 plays they ran, Houston ran 39. And so that's a, it's a tremendous difference, you know, between the two. And I think, like, you know, I picked, I picked Houston in four games this year. And Tyrod, by, you know, football outsiders numbers, was, like, the seventh-best quarterback in football in his six quarters this year. Like, the offense mm-hmm. is entirely different. You can't run the same offense with Tyrod as you can with Davis Mills. But I think kind of the weird spot for Houston they're going to be in is by the time Taylor gets back, they're probably going to be, like, one in seven. And so it's like, do you play Tyrod and then maybe win two games for like respectability purposes, or like just because of the locker room itself, like you know, you're pretty much just keep feeding Mills to the wolves, or has Mills shown enough from that point where you can have more of an offense that he can actually play it all? And then also like, you're, if you have one win, like why aren't you pushing for a higher draft spot at that point too? And so I don't know what they're gonna do whenever uh, Taylor's back. I would, I would think they'll probably play him for like you know three games or a month or so. And then switch back to Mills after that once they're in the final stretch of the season and they're, you know, two and nine or whatever. But it's gonna be it's gonna be weird whenever he gets back because the season was lost uh, as soon as he got hurt against Cleveland, and now we're looking at you know one and seven or one and eight and so, or so. I will say, Mills should improve from here. Like I don't think it can get any worse than forty to zero in the pouring rain against one of the best defenses in the league. He will have friendlier stadiums to play in with better conditions and more experience. So he should go up from here. But I will say if he doesn't, this is too prideful of a coaching staff and a front office and how they view themselves and the, the culture. Uh, the culture does not does not lose games <laughs> on for draft purposes. So if he does not improve significantly from here, I do think we'll see Tyrod Taylor back out there because they are not self-aware enough to say, Okay, we're out of the playoffs. Let's get the number one pick, or let's get let's make sure we get a top five pick. I think they'd rather put Tyrod out there and pick for like six than get the number one pick with Davis Mills. Yeah, I think so. I think they'll I think they'll give Tyrod like probably you know three weeks or a month or whatever. And if there's still like two or three wins, I think they may give Mills another shot at the end of the year just to I guess have like a a better idea what they have in them too. As they play Indy, after they play New England next week then Indy, then Arizona, then Los Angeles, then Miami, and then Tennessee. And I believe they play the Jets after that. And so, like, Miami with Brissett, you know, is really boring. They're not a lot of fun to watch. Um, the Titans have a bad defense, but New England has a great defense. Arizona's pretty good. Los Angeles is really good. The Bills blitz a lot. The Colts are, you know, a pain to play because of how intelligent, like, their scheme is. And then the Jets have a, a good pass rush, and they don't have a secondary at all, but they have a good pass rush, and... Even them, like they have kind of a more of a sneakier defense too, but none of these are are looking very good for you know Davis Mills also. So I don't think it's gonna get as bad as today, but you're gonna see like three win scoring performances, probably ten win scoring performances, and and that sort of thing in the next few weeks. Yeah, when you put it that way, I'm a, I'm a little more discouraged about the three wins with Tyron. <laughs> but I think he can get three. I, I think they'll get like three. I still don't feel bad about like picking four, but I think they'll finish somewhere around there, you know. Miami's not the team I thought they were in the preseason, so that suddenly looks like a, a possibly winnable game. But 
Indianapolis. It's so unbelievable how Tua got hurt too. Like that game against Buffalo, he stared right at his wide receiver and watched the blitz come and then looked the opposite direction. Like he would just disappear. And then he took that shot against Epineza where he's staring right at him and got crushed and fell on his hip. Um, but Bruce, that's just so boring, you know. So Houston's run game, they, they are four running backs all flailed together. Ingram had six carries for 24 yards. One was a, a long of 12 yards. So he pretty much had, you know, five for 11 if you take away, or five for 12 if you take away that one 12-yard carry. That was on a lead play where the tight end of fullback, you know, had good block at the second level, long back sharping. David Johnson had five carries for 21 yards. He had a long of 10, and that long came on like a third and 25 on a draw play. Uh, so you look at like, you know, four for 11 instead. Lindsay had four carries for negative one yards, and somehow that 1.2 yards per carry dropped even further, which is unbelievable. And then Rex Burkhead, you know, balanced him out with one carry for negative one yards. Uh, like, what do you think is up with Houston's run game? Is it, you know, the backs are missing holes and they're not um, breaking any tackles at all? Do you think it's the run scheme that Tim Kelly's running? Do you think it's the run blocking itself? Do you think it's the quarterback and the boxes are filled so they can't even block everybody to begin with? Uh, what do you think is going on with Houston's run game right now? I think everything you just said is true. <laughs> Not one thing to blame. I mean, let's start with uh, week one. I think we might have, the fan base might have elevated the expectations of the run game beyond what was actually possible for them. Uh, the second thing, these names, uh, Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, uh, David Johnson, are all bigger than the actual performances they're capable of putting up at this point in their career, which I hate to say, but when you watch them, there's just is as hard as Mark Ingram runs and makes good cuts. Like he's not he's not really fast enough to be like your lead guy. And yeah. then our issues, with David Johnson, are well documented. Uh, the the interior of the offensive line moving Titus Howard Titus Howard to left guard did not fix that. There is still, I mean, Ed Oliver bullied them today. I mean, the whole defense bullied them, but they there's there's not really much of a push being generated. And then I'll turn the question to you. You got to watch the film. What do you think of what they're doing schematically? Yeah, I mean, sch- schematically they start off the year trying to play outside zone over, like over and over again. And there's a lot of teams out there that try to run outside zone, and it usually doesn't work. You know, it's a tougher run scheme to run. Um, every single person has to make their block directly. You know, and like it's unlike like the power run plays and inside zone. Like if you move the first level, you can mask the fact that you're like you're not blocking a linebacker because you can get six or seven yards if you just move the first level well enough. Whereas outside zone, like if all of your guys make a block, but one guy misses the backside defensive tackle, that's a one-yard gain. And they kind of switched last week against Carolina. They ran more inside zone. They ran more duo and power, but they just couldn't move Daquan Jones and Derek Brown the front level. And that's Sharping, that's Britt, you know, that's Howard. They had a they had a really tough game uh, moving the front level. And like this game today too, it's hard to tell, you know, watching the sideline. But I, I didn't see them run very much outside zone. They ran more, you know, traditional hip tip run plays. Like you mentioned, you know, Ed Oliver was the best player on the field whenever Houston had the ball today. He, you know, abused uh, Tyus Howard multiple times. He abused Justin Britt, trying to block down on him. Max Sharping had some bad pulls. You know, Howard tackled somebody on a, on a, like all Howard tries to do is put guys on the ground instead of make his blocks. And he had a good tackle for a holding penalty. Sharping had a holding penalty. 
Um, Tunsil had a holding penalty today. And this is like the first bad game I think Marcus Cannon had too. But yeah, I think um, on the interior with just how they're they're trying to switch, which was the right move, but they're just not moving the first level very well against better defenses. Like they did it pretty well against Jacksonville, but moving Davon Hamilton's a lot different than moving at Oliver or Derek Brown. Mm-hmm. I think that's a problem that they've had the last two weeks too in the run game. Yeah, I think for a team that so desperately wants to have its identity in the run game, the personnel is just not there to do that this season, which is further exacerbated by the defense is begging Davis Mills to beat them on every play. And right now, he's not capable of doing that. Yeah, and like even that Carolina game, like they play cover three on first and 10, so they have eight defenders who can stop the run. And sometimes you'd see it where... You know, everybody's blocked, but Jeremy Chin's right there in the hole. And Philip Lindsay tries to bounce it wide, but he can't do that. He gets tackled for a one-yard loss. And so that's kind of part of it, too, when the box is stacked like it is. Even if you make every block, you're still counting your running back to make the safety miss. And they haven't been able to do that, too. But it really is ridiculous that Mark Ingram is this team's best running back. <laughs> like, And it's not even close, you know. He's the only one who's breaking tackles. He's the only one who gets anything after contact at all. Uh, and, like, he's 30, you know, two years old or whatever. And he's far and away the best back out of this group easily, of four. Easily the best running back. It's incredible. I, I was furious when we signed Mark Ingram. I was like, okay, like David Coley wants his Baltimore guy. Like, that's great. And somehow, yeah, he's he's the best back. He looks like he's the only one that runs with, with anything behind his shoulder pads. His cuts are far better than what David Johnson and Philip Lindsay are giving you at this point. Also, he looks really cool in the number yeah, two. Yeah, I think with so the, too. He has a great aesthetic. Gosh, it, it, he looks great back there. But, you know, three yards a carry, there's only so far that, hey, that's what I'd make my creative player look like in, in Madden <laughs> can take in terms of goodwill. Yeah, the visor's cool. The mouthpiece is cool. Uh, but everything else. And, like, I mean, he runs hard at least, you know. Like, David Johnson just looks sad a lot of times that he's out there. And then Lindsey, you know, he just tries to bounce everything wide, but he isn't at same speed. And so we had a question from at King Van Zant. And he asked, will Tim Kelly alter the run game to fit the strengths of each running back? I think he's tried to do that already this year. Like, he ran, like, a lot of outside zone with Philip Lindsay, but Philip Lindsay's just been, you know, bad at getting, like, he's having to balance everything back because one of the problems, too, they run outside zone is they can't execute scoop blocks on the backside. And so, like, what I mean is, you know, if you're running an outside zone to the right, and you're on the left side, and you have, like, um like, a, a three technique, you know, Tyus Howard's supposed to turn the shoulders, and then Laramie Tensel takes like a, a read step and he covers over that block and, and turns the three technique. And then Howard picks up the backside linebacker, but they're getting split over and over again by that three tech. And now Lindsay, you know, if the, if the defensive end, you know, washes it wide and he can't bounce that, he can't cut, cut it back as well either, you know? And so he's out of like options where he can't really run the, the scheme to its fullest because they're not blocking the backside of this place too as well. But they tried that and like with Ingram it's more, you know, inside zone and duo and power run plays. And same with David Johnson, but Johnson just doesn't get that much carries. And Rex Burkett's here to like be on special teams and pass protect, but he's bad pass protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was there there are either two answers to this question and they're both bad. Either Tim Kelly has already tried to adjust the offensive scheme to each back, in which case it's not working. Or if we haven't seen it after a month, I don't think we're going to see it. So I think, yeah, I think the answer it's one is that he's tried to and it hasn't worked and it's bad. And a lot of things are bad, you know. And that's kind of how this podcast works at this time of year. Sorry. It's like you say things and you're like, yeah, it's bad. And the next thing we're going to talk about is being bad too. Uh, but entering the, entering the season, did you What's think, 
Did you think Houston would finally have a competent offensive line after trading for Marcus Cannon, you know, moving Ty Howard left guard, replacing Nick Martin with Justin Britt? Did you think that this was going to be the first time since 2016? Like, Houston's had a bad offensive line since Brock Osweiler was the quarterback back when they could win, or no, since 2015, because 15 was whenever they turned uh, Brandon Brooks into Jeff Allen and the offensive line fell apart, and Ben Jones left to Tennessee. So it's been... Uh, damn, I don't even know now. It's been six years since they had a good offensive line. Did you think they're finally going to be competent, at least in the run game this year? Do you remember, I, I DM'd you on Twitter about this, that I was kind of, not excited, but cautiously optimistic about the prospect of moving Howard to left guard, because I was like, maybe we'll just have like a really sick side of the left line, yeah. and like that's going to generate our run game. Like That must be their idea. And you replied to me, well, he's not a great run blocker, so I don't I don't understand what they're doing. And I was like, okay, okay, whatever. So I'd I'd allowed myself to think it might be competent, or at least better than previous years. You know, no one's riding a bus to the game. They're not every Texans broadcast wouldn't start with it's the worst offensive line in the league. Uh and it's it's disappointed up to this point. Yeah, and like the Howard thing's weird just because you know, he wasn't good at blocking the run at right tackle. And his skill was being a good pass protector on the edge because he's so wide. He's like Dwayne Brown. Like I think like pass protection wise are similar just because of how hard it is to get around him. Like he's the size of Jupiter, you know? And you kinda lose that whenever you move him on the interior. But I think that was their idea. It's like, well, we'll have a great left side of the line locked down. And if we do decide to resign Tyus Howard, we can give him less money because he's playing guard too. And you know, Cannon I think was good for the first three weeks. Jaron Christian was bad whenever they switched out. Uh, but I think this is like the first bad game Cannon had. And like Sharping's been bad. Like he, he doesn't block the second level very well. And he's still pretty weak and plays high. But he's better at pass protector too. So I didn't think it was going to be good this year. But that being said, like I thought maybe it would be like the 22nd best run game with, Ty- with, with Tyrod Taylor. And right now they're last in DVOA. They were last in DVOA last year. And this is a bottom five rushing tackle all over again too. It's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> I don't even. I w- I wish I was disappointed, but at this point, I'm just like, oh, we have another bad offensive line. Here we go. Yeah, and like pass blocking wise, they at least win their one versus one blocks consistently enough. But they promise picking up the blitz still and, and ex- like passing off like twi- like twists and et stunts and that sort of thing, which is frustrating. But it's, I feel like it's gotten better a little bit later. This week, like Buffalo really didn't blitz all that much, which was kind of surprising to see. They were able to just kind of create some pressure, especially on the interior. Uh, with their front four too. So our next question is from at King Van Zat again, and he asks, "When does Tyus Howard move back to offensive tackle?" I would go back to I think this is a a prideful front office and coaching staff in terms of they they really believe what they're doing is best. I do not think we see him get moved back. I think we're beyond the point where they would move him back to tackle in the middle of the season. I wish I was wrong. I'd I'd like to put him back out there because, like you said, it's just a more natural position for his skill set. But I don't see it happening. Do you? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think if something were to happen, you know, if, if they stay healthy the entire year and they find themselves like, you know, one in seven or whatever, I think the only thing that they would do would be to bench Marcus Cannon and play Charlie Hecker right tackle. Like, I think that's the only move they would make. But yeah, I think they're going to keep Ty's Howard left guard for the rest of the year. 
like if if they were going to make the move back, we would have seen it by now. They appear fully committed that they want him next to Tunsil on the left side. Yeah, I think so and too. The developmental move, I I agree, it would be heck before they put Howard back at tackle. Yeah, I'm gonna try to write a film room article like on their run offense, especially just like about like the left hand side too. After all the expectations that it was gonna be good this year, um, and like it was just paving roads on the against Jacksonville too, which wasn't true either. And kind of talk some more about that also. Um, and it's interesting, too, with you know the 2019 draft, because that was the last time the Texans had any sort of real draft capital at all. And they took Tyus Howard. to They had a needed offensive tackle, because that was when they had Julian Davenport and you know, mm-hmm. Martinez Rankin playing offensive tackle. And, so, you know, and they screwed that up, because they moved Davenport from left tackle to right tackle and put Martinez Rankin in left tackle and put them out like they're more naturalist positions. Um, and they had to switch that all around. But that offseason, they didn't have Larry Tunsil yet, and so they needed to address the tackle position. So they drafted Tyus Howard, and they drafted Max Sharping. I didn't think Sharping can play tackle at all, so he's been playing guard since he was drafted. And now we have Tyus Howard, who's playing guard too. And then they drafted Johnson Jr., who was bad at cornerback in Kentucky, couldn't play cornerback at all, and now at safety. So they used mm-hmm. their first three picks, the last time any sort of draft capital both of them aren't playing the all three of them aren't playing the position they play in college at all, and you have two below average guards now and a safety who either watches people catch passes in front of them, uh, or you makes tackles, you know, twenty five yards in the field. Uh, that's what they got out of that draft class. And I think that's kind of one of the frustrating things about this season too. Whenever you're looking for any sort of like youth movement at all whatsoever, by just the performance of all three of those guys so far this year. Yeah, because say what you want about the picks. I think I think the silver lining in, in any draft is how are you going to develop these guys? Like where are you going mm-hmm. to take them to the next level? And when I look at those three names, I see a really fumbled development. Lonnie has been moved all over the place. I mean, and he, like you said, he struggled a corner in Kentucky. But did I, did, did they switch him from corner to safe from safety to corner and then back? No. Or, yeah, they did. They tried playing the slot, and then he didn't work there. They moved, him, they moved him to safety last year, and then he's mm. back at safety again this year. The they commentator said today that he was playing corner, but he's playing safety the whole time. They moved Desmond King to outside cornerback. It's just they're, they're not really putting people, especially when you look at this draft in that 2019 draft class, in a position to succeed by virtue of moving them so much. Yeah, so but- it's disappointing. It's very disappointing. I, I agree with that too. And that's like one of the things about the NFL draft. I think is interesting where it's kind of like where guys end up is just as important as like their own position and skill level too. You know, and like I think quarterbacks especially where it's like, you know, it may, like if Josh Allen didn't go to Buffalo, he probably wouldn't be Josh Allen at all. You know, mm-hmm. if Patrick Mahomes went to Chicago, he'd still probably be like a top 10 quarterback, but I don't think he'd be the greatest quarterback of all time already. You know, and so I think so much of it too goes where you're at. And Houston hasn't developed a quarterback you know, since Kevin Johnson, he got hurt. You know, kind of derailed his career, and they haven't they haven't developed an offensive lineman. Um, really, I guess since like Brandon Brooks and Ben Jones and Derek Newton, and that was like six years ago too. You know, and so it was just kind of a bad spot for those guys to end up at. What about AJ? AJ, well, yeah, Boye, but yeah, I guess Boye. He was undrafted free agent. I guess he'd probably be the last cornerback since then. Yeah, he's the last guy I can think of where it's like. Oh, we really made something out of nothing. Yeah. There. When I think, I think Kevin so Johnson, wasn't Marcus Marcus Peters the next pick? He was the next corner I think taken. So. Yeah. John, Johnson was great as rookie year, and then he got, didn't know how to tackle and hurt his head and was hurled after that, too. Um, so, Brandon, Bro- Brandon Cooks, 
is the Brandon Brooks is always on my mind. Uh, Brandon <laughs> Cooks is the entirety of the Texans passing offense still. I think going into this game, he accounted for like nearly 40% of all targets, catches, and yards. And it's ironically a year later after the Hopkins trade where like the football argument for trading Hopkins for Cooks is that it's going to open up the offense so Watson doesn't stare at one player and it's going to develop him as a passer. And a year later, Cooks is pretty much DeAndre Hopkins, but at you know, 5'10", 180 pounds instead. But this mm-hmm. game, he had five catches on seven targets for 47 yards. The next receiver, catches-wise, was David Johnson. He had three catches on four targets. And then they had three other players with one catch, and Chris Conley had zero catches and one target. So, again, for this game, you know, Brandon Cooks accounted for 30% of the targets, uh, half of the catches, and more than half of the receiving yards, 47 of the 87 receiving yards went to Cooks. Do you think there's a chance at all that Cooks may ask for a trade around the trade deadline? I know last year, entering, or entering this offseason, he said he does not want to be traded ever again. He's tired of being traded. Um, do you think that, that move is open here in the next two weeks? It's really frustrating that when we talk about this football team, I don't think about football decisions. I think of personality-driven decisions from the front office and the coaching staff. And I come back to that again when we talk about will they trade Brandon Cooks. I think Brandon Cooks, they've talked about he his personality means a lot to this locker room. Like you said, he's developed into the entirety of the passing offense. I just – I don't see – Unless someone wants to come in and just blow them away for Cooks. And what what do you think he would get? A second round pick and a day three pick right now? I think probably like a, I just, it's weird nowadays. Like, I don't know what you get for what anymore, especially if Ngakwe went for a second round pick. Um, I think probably a third round pick though is probably what he would go for. But, you know, maybe a late second if it's like a, I don't know, like a, a need enough playoff team, you know, yeah. who feels like they're one spot away. Like I'm trying, like maybe like Cleveland maybe would offer a second round pick. I don't know them. See, and that's that's the thing. There's so many good receivers coming into the league every year that it's probably the least valuable mm. position to try to like extract value from by trading away. And I think that this team, if they look at the value of what would probably be a mid or late third round pick, because those are the teams that are going to trade for Brandon Cooks, versus the value of. Brandon can help develop Davis Mills. Brandon makes them competitive when Tyrod's on the field. He's really, I mean, he's far and away their best offensive talent right now, if we're going to exclude Laramie Tunsil as a pass blocker. Uh, I I just don't see a world where they're going to trade him for the value that he likely brings on the open market. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And like you mentioned, like so much of it's not even football decisions, but you know, based on the personalities running this team too. And every single time they've had a chance to move on from, you know, one of the failures of the 2020 offseason, they haven't done so at all. You know, they restructured Tunsil and uh, Cunningham this year. They kept David Johnson, restructured him again too. They restructured Brandon Cooks. They haven't moved on from any of these guys. They haven't tried to, you know, cut bait at all and try to make trades and, and get draft capital at all for any of them too. So I don't really see them, see them like as long as, um, you know, Casario and Jack Eastby are there, especially Easterby. I really can't see him like moving on from, you know, Tunsil Cooks or, or Cunningham or David Johnson, probably Johnson next year, but like unless like some big offer came through, you know, and like I would trade Cooks for a second round pick, but I don't think you get that. A third round pick, I would be interested in it, but like you mentioned, like how much of now you're putting Davis Mills in his development at an even harder spot, you know, as you try to see what you have in him when you're one and seven, like Chris Conley's not going to do it. I don't know who he would even throw the ball to 
aside from like the short Anthony Miller, you know. Yeah. To to trade Brandon Cooks would be to admit total and complete defeat on this season. And once you do that, you admit that the offseason was a failure because you were not building a team that was going to rebuild and mm-hmm. not be competitive whatsoever. You were building a veteran-filled roster that could be competitive in games just by virtue of their their experience in the league. And I don't think they're willing to do that. Like yeah. I would like to think maybe if like you said, if you're if you're willing to throw the towel on Mills development and just say this season's a wash, which I think a lot of Texans fans would be willing to say, like this team is not a playoff team. The way they're currently constructed, there aren't a lot of pieces that are gonna be here two or three years from now, I would say personally. Like you could trade him and a third round pick might be that might be enough if you were okay with that outcome. But if you're not okay with that outcome, I don't think the market value is attractive enough to move on. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and also offensively, even though they scored zero points, you know, the Bills are out or without a couple of their starters. They have Ife Odaba. They didn't have uh, Jordan Poyer, who's one of the best safeties in football. They didn't have Taron Johnson, who's their slot cornerback, who's a really great blitzer. And they have Vernon Butler as well, who's been kind of been like rejuvenated as a run stopper. And then Matt Milano also got hurt um, like halfway through this game. There's a lot of A.J. Klein, who's you know pretty good, but he's not like a pass rusher at the linebacker position like Matt Milano is too. So they scored zero points even with you know, Buffalo hamstrung too. And this was you know one of the five best defenses in football so far this year. Um, defensively, you know I thought this was a big game for Lonnie Johnson Jr. because he got the nod to start strong safety or free safety over Eric Murray with Justin Reed back in the, in the field. And they also benched Vernon Hargraves and moved Desmond King to outside cornerback. And so I want to start by talking about these two players. Um, Johnson Jr. kind of played single high safety for a lot of the game. He had that one interception where Josh Allen overthrew that deep dig to Stephon Diggs where Johnson was kind of staying still and the ball hit him in the hands and he had a good return, which led to that fourth and two uh, you know, failure trying to hit David Johnson in the flat. And I just think Johnson had a bad game. You know, I, I kind of describe him as a right field safety. Yeah, there's a lot of passes where it lands, you know, 10 yards in front of him. And he's playing 30 yards deep and he comes down, makes a tackle. And he got beat by um, Stefan Diggs on that deep out route, you know, to the sideline that Josh Allen made on the run. Like that was against cover three with him playing, you know, deep middle. I think he didn't tackle very well this game too, even though that's been like the one thing he's gotten better at since he came into the league. He's been much better at tackling since his rookie year. And they also had that really, you know, awful 15 yard penalty too where he thinks it's a fumble, he gets tackled out of bounds, and he gets up and, like, you could tell Dawson Knox, too, knew he was going to do it because he stood there and kind of stared at him. And he got shoved, and they got 15-yard penalty off that also. Uh, what do you think about Johnson Jr.'s performance in today's game? I think I would say two things can be true. I think Lonnie Johnson should be playing a lot of snaps for this Houston Texans team because there's not a lot of talent in the secondary and he's one of the guys that has the potential to become something that projects moving forward uh, for the Texans. But at the same time, he he can be – we can say that he should be on the field. That doesn't necessarily mean everything he's doing out there is great. I think I think he's an average safety right now. He has some, some huge flashes where you see him ball hawk and the athleticism. And like you said, he's improved as a tackler. But there are also plays that I think he, he misses that – he needs to make in his third year. Yeah, I think so. And I think the, the kind of hard spot for him is that they're putting him at deep middle. Like, I don't think he can play free safety at all in the NFL. I think, like, he should play more of the robber role, but 
they're putting Justin Reed there to try to get more close to the ball and get him more involved in place. And he's in better spots to create turnovers and that sort of thing. And Reed just kind of was a cleanup tackler. You know, he didn't have much of an impact. And instead, like a lot of the throws that made, that Allen made were kind of like in Johnson's vicinity. Like that touchdown pass at Dawson Knox, you see, you know, Josh Allen looking right, pump fake, you know, twice, pull Johnson over, then hit Knox on the post round. He's a wide open pass to the end zone. And Johnson mm-hmm. bites on the fake and that sort of thing too. I just don't think he like sees the game well enough at all to ever be like a good, you know, single high safety. But I think you have to play him at the robber role or, you know, even kind of looking at, you know, what some teams do with their safeties where they just put him at linebacker and passing downs too. And maybe, you know, let him play in the flat. I was also kind of surprised they didn't play him at cornerback in this cover two defense where he can be big and strong, jam wide receivers, push him inside, and then squat mm-hmm. on the fly and make tackles. And I thought that would make a lot of sense. Um, and even whenever you play cover three, just let them chase on the sideline, be tall and strong. But they haven't done that as well either. So I'm not really enjoying the, the Johnson Jr. experiment at free safety playing single high. But I completely agree with you, too, that you know, he should play. And he should play Eric, over Eric Murray. And they need to play him. They need to play Greenard. They need to play Blacklock. They need to you know, get rid of snaps from like Jaleel Johnson and Collins. and um, Get the guys out there. And Demarcus Walker. You know, get Omenehu and Martin and Greenard all the snaps. You know, that sort of thing. They haven't done just yet, but I wonder how long it's going to take for them to, you know, uh, only play those players instead. Pretty much. I'm I'm a little concerned it will never happen. Just by as we've touched on the nature of the front office and the coaching staff, I I like to think that at some point it it will happen. Like it's commendable. I mean, I mean this was a, a step in the right direction. Like Lonnie Johnson, like after an offseason of us. Pounding the table, like we don't want Eric Murray to be starting at safety. We got him out there, and even though you're saying it, it might not be a role that he's well suited for. I commend them for trying to put him in one place and really see what they have there. Uh, so, so maybe, maybe we'll see more young guys get opportunities like that. But in the meantime, if it's if it's just Lonnie, so be it. Yeah, I uh, he has a lot of like, he's pretty similar to. Uh, DJ Swearinger, you know, or like he like makes like big plays occasionally and then he just like does something really dumb or he blows the coverage completely or he draws a 15 yard penalty. So he doesn't like give off the same big hits that Swearinger has, but he's like, he's a fine tackler, you know, and he's pretty similar. And Swearinger lasted, you know, a year and like three games before he was cut and Johnson Jr. is able to hang on longer than that too. But uh, we had a question from at Smooth Grandma and he asked, did Lonnie Johnson Jr. earn the big play moniker for the rest of the season? And so the, the big play player X came, started with Barcavius Mingo two years ago. Last year, we had big almost play PJ Hall because he would almost make big plays and you miss a tackle or dive and not quite get there. And we don't have one this year and we thought maybe it'd be Vernon Hargraves, but then he got benched and only had that one big interception. I mean, really, it's, it's Justin Reed, but it's more like a, like, it's that's too well known. You know, it has to be something a little bit more under the surface, like a spot player who doesn't do anything all game, but all of a sudden picks up a fumble, you know. I think Johnson Jr. is the closest that we have, but I'm not quite ready to, to give him that, you know. Let's see a few more games before uh, anyone gets nicknames on this team. Also, DJ Swearinger, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Was he was he in Hopkins draft? I'm trying to place him on my I Texans think so. Team. He was a second-round pick in that draft, I'm pretty sure. South Carolina, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he had the pit bull that bit Jadavion Clowney as well. And he was playing for Arizona um, for a little while. He kind of bounced all over the league a little bit. We can go through DJ Swearinger's 
Football Reference, you know, play fine a little bit later. Didn't he badmouth Bill O'Brien? Didn't they have like really bad blood? I think something like that because he was cut like really quickly into his his second year, and you don't see that for a second round pick very often. I'm looking this up. But yeah, he was he he was hilarious because he would like force a fumble and stand there and not even like help block, or he would uh, and then he would like do the Tower Matthew thing where he would near Red's mouth after making a tackle for like you know 13 yards down the field. But yeah, he went from Houston to Arizona, then Tampa, then back to Arizona, then two years at Washington. In 2019, he played for Arizona, New Orleans, Oakland. Last year, he played for New Orleans, and right now he's out of the league. Hmm. Yeah, if I if I look up his name with Bill O'Brien, the first thing that comes up is from the Washington Post. Four years after leaving Houston, DJ Swearinger still carries grudge against Bill O'Brien. So, <laughs> what a great guy! He somehow what had eight interceptions. He had eight interceptions in Washington, but had fourteen interceptions over the course of his career, and I don't remember any of them. Did he get moved to linebacker? Was he kind of like a? Um, I'm blanking on the, the yeah, guy from like Buffalo linebacker. He played some, some of that where he would play linebacker in the nickel position sometimes okay. too. Um, the other guy I want to talk about is Desmond King. Cause he was playing slot corner in this game or like to start the year off. And mm-hmm. like personally of all the veteran free agents, they sign. I was most excited to watch Desmond King. Cause he's kind of like a unicorn where he's good at doing like a very specific thing, you know, playing zone coverage and tackling, but he's bad at like, the most important part of the position, which is, you know, playing press man coverage in the slot. You know, he's bad at, at playing like pure man. And so Hargraves is bad. So moving outside cornerback, he got beat by Manuel Sanders once really good. He got beat by Diggs on the sideline really good as well too. He had a lot of problems like playing cover three and playing man coverage when they did. And they were able to take some shots against him downfield and also. And he was also kind of like out of his element as a tackler too, where he missed a few tackles outside in that spot. And then he also got made fun of by Brown, the Bills. I don't know if you saw that tweet today where like Desmond King was running his mouth at him and like Brown's like 6'6 and Desmond King's like 5'8 and he was just talking to him about how short he is, you know, and uh, absolutely mogged him. It made me feel a little bit bad, but you know, (laughs) yeah. And like King, like I thought like of all the players, the Texans signed, he'd probably be the one where maybe they could trade some for the trade deadline or give him to a bigger contract next year playing this cover two defense. And it hasn't really worked out at all. Like the only play I've seen him really make aside from some sweeping run tackles was against Carolina. They ran a four three with him at linebacker and he was in the hook and he defended a pass uh, to the short middle. That was a third down stop, but he hasn't done anything aside from there. And he was out of this element, you know, playing outside cornerback today too. I mean, that was probably the most exciting signing of the off season, you know, deadline our long-awaited slot corner savior, Desmond King, in a, a position we've been burned at the last two years. Now, he, he did look out of place out there, and I'm hoping that's not something that they want to do again. But you you commented, was Vernon out today? Uh, he was active. He was out. Yeah. But, like, when when you carry the secondary into the season that the Texans decided to roster back in March, when they – kind of put their vision for for what what the team was going to look like. This is this is the natural outcome of you're trying to put guys into positions that they don't belong in because you have a major talent gap out on the perimeter. Uh you, you reap what you sow and this is a I think cornerback was probably the worst position going into the 2020 offseason and one they totally neglected. They picked 
you want to talk about the Davis Mills pick, you probably could have found a really nice player in the secondary at the top of the third round. But this is this is what the team wanted. So Yeah. I, I completely agree. And I wrote I thought it was a war crime whenever they re-signed Brent Hargraves. A lot of people was like, well, it's a depth signing. He knows the team. That's where things like, yeah, but the problem with re-signing Vernon Hargraves is that depth, you know, there's always injuries, and you're probably going to have to play Vernon Hargraves at some point of the year and end up being week one after they trade Bradley Roby uh, to New Orleans to start the season two. And, you know, he's, he had that one interception where he bailed off the flat and covered two to pick off Lawrence on a corner route. And aside from that, like, he's been bad like he was, you know, last year too. But I completely agree, like, uh, King having to play outside cornerback is what happens whenever you go into week one with Vernon Hargraves as your outside cornerback. And the other corners are, you know, Mar- like uh, Terrence Marshall's fine. Um, and then you have Tavier Thomas, who's bad. And you have Trayvon, Trayvon Smith, who's bad too. Or Terrence Mitchell, my bad. Terrence Mitchell's fine, you know. Uh, like he's, he's been okay as a slot, as like a Tampa 2 cornerback. But the problem, like with the cornerback talent you have, is you can't play cover three very well. You can't play man coverage at all. So if you can't play man coverage and play cover one, you can't really blitz in the front force and get in there as well either. And so, yeah, I, I think you kind of nailed it right there where this this is the sort of thing that happens whenever you you go into the year with Vernon Hargraves as, at your starting cornerback and with a cornerback room that they constructed that they didn't even put anybody into at all really this offseason. I will say that's probably the most self-aware move that the Texans have made in the last 12 months is trading Bradley Roby, yeah, though. Yeah, I agree. You knew the- you knew the position group was bad, but I mean that was probably the only time this year we've seen them say twenty twenty one does not matter for this football team and just make take it from a weakness to the absolute downfall of this team in a lot of games is, is the secondary mm-hmm. or it will continue to be. So I don't really mind that they traded Roby, but yeah, bringing back Hargreaves and making no real attempts to improve other than. I mean, Desmond King, who, like you said, is a slot specialist that does nothing to address your outside corners who, by the way, in a league full of premier wide receivers, that's that's where they line up. That's where they're going to beat you. So, it's, yeah, and they played you know pretty good wide receivers to start the year also. You know, I know uh, even against Cleveland, like they lost Landry, but you know, before he got their secondary guys are good in that game. They had to play against Chark. They had to go up against D.J. Moore. They they go up against Diggs and Emmanuel uh, Sanders today too, and next week you know they get uh, a group of like expensive wide receivers but haven't been particularly good in New England yet either. So my next question is not really a question; it's more of like I can't believe that uh, I can't believe it, and I can't believe that Camu Gregor Hill is this team's best linebacker. He's better than Zach Cunningham at little linebacker. You know he's better than Joe Thomas of course, and Kirksey hasn't been that good as well either. And like he was like a coverage linebacker, can't really cover it all. But he's actually been able to like shoot the gap some and make some tackle for yeah. losses. Like his brain's been good, and like he's had some moments where just like he zaps and he gets the ball and is able to beat blocks and kind of do more than Cunningham uh, for this year as well too. And it's just very strange to me that you know Cunningham moving to will linebacker isn't even the best linebacker on this team and ended up being Cam McGregor Hill. I would probably agree with you. I mean Zach Cunningham is MIA, and then. Oh, here, here's a here's a quick question, but one did the linebacking core or the running back group feel more island of misfit toys coming into this season? Did you? I think linebacker, just because of the importance of in this defense, like you have to have good coverage linebackers. You have to be able to uh, rush the pass or four guys, and they haven't been able to do either one of those things. Like it's good because it takes off pressure off your cornerbacks, allows like your safeties to key and make plays, only covering half the field. 
but you have to have the coverage linebackers, and either you know Gregor Hill or Kirksey or Thomas or you know Cunningham are, are very good coverage linebackers, and it's just a lot more important for that facet of the ball. I'm honestly just thrilled that one of the signings worked out because at yeah. one point season, <laughs> like late March or maybe early March, it just felt like we were signing every free agent linebacker on the market that you could like barely recognize. You're like, oh, I've, I've heard of that player before. Mm-hmm. And there was a Shepard tweet, like Houston Texans have brought him in. So, I mean, it is, it's definitely surprising, but it is nice to have a bright spot in that second level of the defense. Yeah, I think he probably is the best free agent sign that they made this year. It's probably, probably him, you know. He's like, Malik Collins has gotten close, but hasn't really impacted the passer at all. He's been pretty bad in the run game. Uh, Walker, you know, has been okay, I guess, in the run game, but hasn't really done much as a pass rusher. Janoris Jenkins is MIA. Kirksey isn't very good. I know he had those interceptions. He was like pro football focus player of the week against Jacksonville. The cornerbacks that they added, I mean, I guess you can make the case that um, Terrence Mitchell has been you know, pretty all right, but yeah, it's been, it's been kind of a mess there. Do you have any bright spots on the defense at all from this game or, or this year in general? I mean, right now, I would say the interior defensive line, watching uh, Ross Blacklock and Roy Lopez, especially Lopez is just a fun story. The fan base loves him, and people were excited when when they picked him, and I I said he's a six-round pick. Like, I'm not going to project any expectations, let alone that he'll make the roster. And to see those two, like two young guys who have some good plays here and there, they're not they're not great players right now. But I would say that's kind of the fun spot of every game is seeing there's so many young guys on the defensive line. And you could say the same about the uh, the edge rushers and like with Aminu and Jonathan Grinner and um, um, Jacob Martin. Uh, I, w- I would say the defensive line is. I mean, even if their performance is not exceptional they're what I want to watch every week because I look at that position group and say, those are guys who might be on the team in two years. Yeah. Yeah. Like they could be like a, a rotational player in two years. And what else you can say? I think this is the best game Lopez has had though this year. I know he wasn't very good stopping the run. The, you know, his, his previous three starts, you know, he just has been getting moved a lot, the line of scrimmage and doesn't really have like the quickness, like kind of shift around blocks in his own scheme, but he actually had some run plays today too. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like Jonathan Greenard and Ross Blacklock are probably like the two most like uh, bright, the two bright spots. Aside from Justin Reed, like Reed's been, you know, a Pro Bowl caliber player. He's tackled really well. He's accounted for, you know, sixty percent of the team's turnovers, and that's what this entire defense is built on is you know, forcing turnovers right now because they can't get any stops at all. But Greenard had like a nice like tackle for a loss against the outside zone against Carolina. He had that sack where he went through a tight end or running back to you know strip sack Sam Darnold. Blacklock's had some really like good reps as a pass rusher, but I think they're playing Jaleel Johnson, Lee Collins way too much, and they need to get him more snaps too. And he's been able I, to show that leverage in the in the run game also. But I agree with that. I think they're on the edge though. Um, it's like Martin's been really bad this year. Like he had that one chop rip sack against Coughlin, but he's not really creating like any sort of consistent pressure. He didn't create any pass rush at all in this game, and he's just way too easy to reach in in the run block in the run game. And Omanahu, too, has been bad. You know, like he's never been good against the run. They haven't played him that much in the interior, and they're trying to use him as more like a pure like defensive and edge rusher. And he just doesn't have that speed to reach around the corner. So it's a lot of like, you know, pushing and not going anywhere at all. And if you see him make pressure, it's usually because it's like a stun or the quarterback moves and he's able to get off his block and chase him. But it's been a bad year for those two also. Yeah. they. I mean, when I watch them, sometimes I have to stop myself because it might be 
I would really like to see them succeed. It would be fun if the fifth rounder from Texas and the key return piece from the Jadavian Clowney trade were became successful, meaningful contributors to this defense. So when I say when I say bright spot, I think maybe I maybe I do find myself at times uh, the cheering for them and looking for things that are not as as there as I'd like them to be. Yeah, I, I like I mean Amenda who's been good as like a interior bull rusher, especially with his long arm that sort of thing. But I just said defensive end, he really just doesn't have it there. So our next Did questions have, like, every you preseason game. Oh, Amenehu. Yeah. I don't know. I know that he did that thing where Rivers McCallan asked who he got mad at and why he only played like 18 snaps against Carolina. He liked that tweet. And so there's some jokes about the culture, you know, after that. But uh, I don't know. Uh, he blocked me on Twitter, so I don't get to see that sort of stuff from him, though. Who blocked you? Charles O'Mena, who did. What'd you say? I just wrote a draft profile how I didn't think he could play defensive in the NFL. And then he hasn't been able to, but he's been like a good interior rusher instead. But, um, that's sort of the, the best was to ever recall Rivers and Asinine Punk after the Cleveland game and then apologize, you know, later on the week. That's the all-time classic player, uh, uh, you know, rider interaction. Our next question here is from at founder of Houston Sports, and he asked, would you pay Justin Reed top 10 safety money stay in Houston long-term? No. I I don't really know what to do with Justin Reed. He's he's clearly an above average safety. I think we can say that. He's a he's a good football player. He's a football player I want on my team, but I don't know if that's a good resource allocation with where we project to be in the next 2-3 years. I guess the money does have to go somewhere, but he's not he's not transformative in any way, and I think that someone will probably be willing to pay him more than we should as a rebuilding team. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he'd be the only player so far that'd be worth extending, you know, long-term. And so it's like, if you lose that, you don't really have any other young talent at all to fill in the gaps. Um, so I don't know. I, it just really kind of depends on what it is. Like, I would give him, like, you know, three years, like, 40 million or whatever. But I wouldn't do, like, I wouldn't make him, like, a like $18 million a year player or something like that. And he could also be a, a guy that could be traded you know, the next two weeks too, they decide that he's not part of their long-term plans and you could get, you know, a third or second round pick back for him. Um, that may be an option as well too. Do you have anything else from this game at all aside from Josh Allen's incredible and, and beautiful and, or do you, is there anything else that you want to add at all from today's game? I think we've about, about covered it. It cannot get any worse than today. So <laughs> that's encouraging. Yeah. You, also, it only gets better from here. So we have some some more listener questions here. Do you have about 15 more minutes in you? Absolutely. All right. So the next one we have is from at King Van Zandt again. And he has two quarterback questions for you. I don't know who these guys are, so I'm going to rely on you for it. His first one, is, his first one is, should the Texans work out Jamie Newman? Yes. Yes. So who is Jamie Newman? So Jamie Newman, he, so he played quarterback at Wake Forest for three years. So he start he um I think he lost I don't know if you've seen any wake this year but their current quarterback Sam Hartman he played for like a whole year in 2018 and then Hartman got hurt early and Jamie Newman won the job in 2019 and then Newman graduated from Wake uh, so I've I've skipped over two years here and he transferred he was like a projected like second or third round guy potentially before like guys like Zach Wilson or others from this past quarterback class emerged. 
and he transferred to UGA to start there in February. And then the pandemic came on in March and he would kept working out at UGA, but ultimately in July he opted out of the season. So he never he never played a snap for Georgia. I think he was listed as a weight quarterback in the draft. And then he surprisingly to many, he went undrafted. So dude's got a lot of talent. He's a, he's a bigger guy. He's, he's mobile, a really nice ball placement. I was always impressed of how he ran a, I call it the Clawfence, uh, Coach Dave Clawson at Wake. Uh, he, I would, I would take a flyer on Jamie Newman. I think he was on Philadelphia's practice squad for most of the off season, and he might still be there. But. Yeah, the only thing I see here is that uh, Jamie Newman released from Philadelphia's practice squad. Yeah, I would put him on our practice squad because I don't. Is is Driscoll there right now? Yeah, Driscoll is. I mean, I just would like. One, I'm a Wake Forest homer, so we probably shouldn't work out Jamie Newman. But if you're asking me, yes, I want to work out Jamie Newman. That's just any any chance at finding talent that this team can develop and then flip either flip for picks or turn into a meaningful contributor. So like a guy like Jamie Newman, he's not going to be your franchise quarterback. But if he comes in for a whole offseason and then in like two years like you're comfortable with him as your backup quarterback kind of like you saw that happen with another wake quarterback uh john walford and mm-hmm. for he's the rams backup yeah. he mm-hmm. played some last year like that's all of a sudden someone who was totally looked over is turned into i mean he's valuable in the building as a backup and then you can you can flip quarterbacks for picks as we saw Cincinnati steal a pick from us for a quarterback that we cut like three weeks later. An awful uh, quarterback of that too. Yes. It's like it's have just, the Texans ever watch Ryan Finley ever play football? Oh my god. Or was this like did you know, did they know him from a, a youth group, you know, seven years ago or something? And just saying he's a tremendous young man. Easterby just takes the marching orders from the Lord. He doesn't he's not <laughs> making else. I mean he uh, did call twelfth man today. I mean, you saw the weather give us that interception, or at least I feel like it, pay, it played a pretty big part in Josh Allen wildly overthrowing that ball to Lonnie Johnson. I think so. That was the Lord who, who gave us one break, you know. No more after that, though. Um, <laughs> and his next question was, could you guys evaluate quarterback Jake Hayner off Fresno State for the upcoming draft? I don't know who this guy is. Do you know who Jake Hayner is? Not at all. No, I don't either. Uh, I'll, I'll watch the quarterbacks like in February, but – the NFL is too good to be worrying about in the college quarterbacks right now. I'm not mentally strong enough to care about any quarterback that is not playing at a power five school right now. Yeah. Like once the Texans are really, really bad, like when we get to like week 11 or 12 and my soul has been crushed by several performances like the one we've seen today, that's when I'll be ready to get into like a Fresno State quarterback. <laughs> but right, it's like Matt Corral and – Every Malik Malik Willis, yeah. he's the guy from Liberty, mm-hmm. and everyone else. That's how I see the world right now at quarterback. Yeah, it's gonna be a long journey to get to Fresno State, but we'll get there in in a couple of weeks or so. Uh, the next question is from at Confused Lefty, and he asks, in terms of a rebuild, where does Nick Casario Amos focus in the draft, defense or offense? And uh, and that, yeah, so in in terms of the rebuild, do you think they're gonna focus on the defense or the offense in next year's draft? I mean, they're not really in a position to focus on one or the other. Uh, I'm, I'm a big proponent of going all in on one side. 
Like, I think we're seeing that payoff for Dallas right now. They put a lot of draft capital into that defense. We're seeing it pay off for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, Carolina's uh, the team that comes to mind always. So I would, I would personally go, I mean, if we're high enough and there's a quarterback that we like, I would like a rookie quarterback. If you, if you think the guy is there, you can't pass on him. I see people saying don't rush it because you're going to end up with a, I mean, people are calling it a Trevor Lawrence, like a Zach Wilson situation. But at the end of the day, the Jaguars have Trevor Lawrence, and that's incredible for them. You'll, you'll figure the rest out later. So if the quarterback's there, I want that. But I, I would go defense first. I would try to build the defense in the meantime. Yeah, I can see that too. And like, if you look at Houston next year, they may have three top ten picks. You know, depending on where they trade Watts into, what happens from there. Um, I'm like personally, like I'm kind of like all in the idea of trading the Giants because you have the Bears first round pick, you have the Giants first round pick, and right now those two teams are a combined. You know, I guess two, three, and three and seven at the moment, or three and six. And so you may be able to get two top ten picks from them, and you have your own top ten pick. And so you have three of them, you can like. May possibly get three defensive anchors, and then, but like I always think, you're if you have a quarterback, you can never not try to find a quarterback. And so I think for sure you draft a quarterback next year, and then maybe go all defense after that, kind of ping where they're at. My fear though is that they go like all offense, and they trade a third round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, like that would be like the ultimate Texans thing to do. Like we got our defense fixed, we got the quarterback now. You know, we're ready to go. Would you be? Okay, I want to go back to this question, but real quick, would you be surprised if they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo tomorrow, or would it just feel like the next move in a long series of painful Jack Easterby Texans? Yeah, I just don't think they can with the cap space to be able to trade for him this season, but I could definitely see it next season, though. And then to circle back to the the quarterback question, I'm I'm all in on taking a guy this year while we have picks. Uh, especially if they do make that trade with the Giants. I've kind of lost all hope that Watson will waive his no-trade clause for anywhere other than Miami. And I don't know. Once the allegation's clear, I think we will start to rapidly lose uh, leverage in the situation once they see that we're willing to pay him and not people will say, all right, eventually like you're going to want that off your books because $10 million goes to... Is it is it thirty next year? I believe yeah, it's is the 30. cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can't we can't do that. That's not a sustainable cap hit. So I would love to trade with the Giants, but I mean, Daniel Jones looked pretty good today, and then also the Miami thing is just it's such a bummer, man. It's he's not demanding a trade; he's demanding to go to one place, and it's pretty discouraging. But yeah, I'd I'd love to build the defense and take a quarterback if we can. Yeah, that's interesting. I heard that rumor too uh, today from a friend of mine. And he was saying that he doesn't think he would go anywhere but Miami to waive his no-trade clause. And it's like, well, I guess where you're just going to waste your career for the next three years because you would only go to Miami, you know? I mean, but that's the thing is, well, one, I think Miami is willing to, to pay yeah. most of what we want to make it an identity. I mean, if the Giants want Watson and they have the seventh pick and the tenth pick from themselves and the Bears, like obviously no one could beat that. But two is not the guy. We were talking. You were you were joking about that hit he took that got him hurt. He you can't watch Josh Allen today and then look at what Tua has done and say, okay, we can win this division with Tua. Like I don't I don't think yeah. they can. So I expect them to ultimately pay the three first round picks plus whatever else Nick Casario so decides that this football team needs. 
but it really is hamstringing what I exp- I'm kind of like beginning to temper my Watson return expectations because it doesn't feel like a fair market with all all of the noise is just Miami. Yeah, like from from Glazer to how the the off season media was crafted. Yeah, that's interesting because I I'm kind of sour on Miami just because they don't have very many good young players. And then also they don't have they only have one first round pick because they trade up for Waddle too, and so it's like okay well then you get all these future San Francisco picks, but who knows if they're gonna be worth it all and so you're getting like you're probably gonna get like a bottom Miami pick because Miami be really good with Watson like any team's really good with Watson unless you have like really bad luck like last year with Houston and San Francisco San Francisco should be really good too for the next few years so you're looking at like picks like twenty one through you know thirty two for the next two seasons if he trade with Miami. So I hope he doesn't go there for that reason. But uh, I heard that idea again today, so that is an interesting idea. The next question from Confused Lefty is, does David Coley do therapy? And I don't think so. David Coley is the Holy Spirit. You know, he doesn't really need therapy at all. It all comes from internal, from from within. He's found peace. Yeah, I think so too. He doesn't need therapy. I think he would have had to to take that job. (laughs) Going into... Uh, and the next question is from at Bonger, and he had a, a very mean thing to say, not to us directly or anything like that, but about the Texans' performance today. He said, follow-up question, who they think they are? And the answer to that question always is, I am. I from that, Remember that bowling video? No. It's like, this, uh, it's like a PBA bowling guy, oh. and he bowls a strike, and he yells at the crowd, like, who, yes, do you yes. think, who do you think you are? I am. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Sir. Uh, the next question is from at Smooth Grandma. I think since, you know, John, you're in kind of a down place right now, I think you can answer this one really well. He said, when your favorite team is this bad, should that motivate you to become a better person or should you indulge in that misery and fall to pieces with you while you, with, or fall, let me say that again. When your team is this bad, should that motivate you to become a better person or should you indulge in the misery and fall to pieces with that team that you love? I'm going to go with secret option C. You become a incredibly volatile person. With <laughs> every win, you become that, that best version of yourself. And with every loss, you become cynical and jaded. And your friends ask what's wrong. And you look at them and say, Davis Mills just threw his fourth interception of the game. <laughs> and that's where I was at today. I was studying for my test. And one of my friends was like, is, is something wrong? Like, you don't, you don't look well. And I was like, you know, <laughs> Davis Mills has a QBR of zero point eight right now. We're going through a lot at the moment. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, for me, like I know, like the win loss perspective of Texans games doesn't matter as much as it used to for me. And now, like I kind of watch the game, just interested in certain things that, like I'll follow. You know, um, but I got roped in in that Kansas City game a little bit, even though I thought they were going to lose. Even whenever they had that big that twenty four zero lead. I got roped in, you know, during Watson's rookie year a little bit, and especially that year because they were hot. And you're like, well, we have a quarterback on a on a franchise, we have a franchise quarterback on a rookie contract, and that's like the the thing you need. And then whenever they play New England in the 2016 divisional round, where that defense forced you know three turnovers, and you know if Will Fuller catches that pass that that pass that Brock Osweiler actually threw. Yeah, maybe something happens from there, but usually I don't really get roped into the the win loss stuff like I used to. One of my one of my friends today they they asked me like when was the last time the Texans made you happy, and I said Kansas City twenty twenty four to zero. <laughs> it's like didn't you guys lose that game? 
And I said, I, I'm not talking about the end of the game. I'm talking about when they went up 24 to zero. Yeah, that. Also, you brought up Deshaun's rookie year. Like, because he had kind of a, a coming out party against New England. Mm-hmm. I had to revisit this. I went ahead and pre wrote my The Inevitable, like, goodbye Deshaun Watson article. And I, I wrote that a few months ago. So I had to go down memory lane. But it was that next week against Seattle. Yeah. When he just kept throwing bombs to Hopkins and Fuller, and he was going you know, head to head with Russell Wilson trading blows. And it was like, oh, we've got a franchise quarterback. Like, yeah. This guy can play. It's probably like the last two times that this team has, has made me feel something good. Yeah. Really. Yeah, it's been it's been hard. The last time I got like really upset after a loss was they played New England in 2012. Whenever they played Monday night and lost like 41 to 7. And like I got mad at the dog, you know, and I was like, "They're this team's stupid. I can't get mad. I can't get upset when this team loses, or I'm gonna be upset off for the rest of my life." And so that what was like the, nine years ago. What about the uh, the 2018 Indianapolis playoff game where yeah, they that, won? The that was just sickening. Dude, I, that that game made me want to throw up. Just, yeah, yeah, that man. game was just boring, and like their whole all, <laughs> it, that throw to Hopkins to start the game off in double coverage, like that's all you got. Like that's what you spent two weeks preparing for. And then after that, it was it never got any better at all. Um, so we have two more questions. The first one, they're both from at found HOU Sports. And he's a good follow. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. He says, besides quarterback, what are the top three needs for the Texans next offseason? Ooh. Um, I think corner. Corner is easily my, my 1A. And then, then you're really picking a bunch against a bunch of mediocrity. I guess another the, a follow up question to that I mean it's all, I think part of it is how good do you think Nico Collins is going to be? Yeah, don't think he's going to be good receiver in today's NFL. I I don't want to draft a running back super high, but like if we took one at the top of the third or like traded up to the back of the second, I would not be upset to see someone who. Like watching Indianapolis today and like what Jonathan Taylor can do for an otherwise very underwhelming offense, mm-hmm. like that, it would be nice to have a guy like that. Yeah, yeah, I would say cornerback first and foremost, and then edge rusher, and then probably wide receiver. Like I think Collins can maybe be good. He just has like a like a really limited route tree, you know. And so like I don't know, I, maybe he could be good, or if anything, he's just like a, a vertical route wide receiver. He can throw some shots to in the red zone, but. I don't know what to expect from him. He's kind of like a boomer bus guy. I kind of like, just like the idea from the slot, too. It's like a big slot you can throw fades to and, and get some yards of the catch, too. But, yeah, I would say he was cornerback, edge rusher, and then wide receiver. I mean, first and foremost, you got to find a quarterback. you got to protect your quarterback, and you got to get to the other team's quarterback. Yeah. So, edge rusher, edge rusher is big. Just cornerback is so glaring right now. It's mm-hmm. like taking the vacuum from, like, where can this team improve other than, other than quarterback. And it's, it's and it's been a long time too. Like it's not like cornerback is all of a sudden a need. It was a need, you know, going back to ever since they let AJ Boye walk, but they haven't added any talent to it. And then Jonathan Joseph just got older and Kevin Johnson was hurt. And then they signed Roby and that was like the only like success they had that position at all. Yeah. Like the last five years of Texans corner play, I just think of like T. Y. Hilton clowning yeah. <laughs> with the mask. The and clown that's... mask was great. I was glad yeah. T Y did that. I was pretty mad at the time, but now I think it's hilarious. Yeah, so, and so. now now his career is kind of over, so at least he had that. So our last question tonight, we're almost done. If you could pry a coordinator from another team right now, all caps, 
to be the head coach next year, who would it be? They should have hired Joe Brady eight months ago. I would hire Joe Brady in three months still. What What about you? I'm a I'm a Dable guy more than Brady as far as like offensive design goes. But like I think like personality wise, I heard Dable's kind of like a curmudgeon, and like he's had like a lot of instances in his career where people didn't you know particularly love him. But I think Dable's had better offense than Brady. But Brady seems like more like a young, cool head coach that fits in like in the NFL right now too. Um, and then I'm trying to think like I'm trying to go through teams in my head. I've liked Seattle's offense a lot so far this year, and Shane Waldron I think has done a good job like putting Russell Wilson into like an actual efficient offense instead of just all right we're gonna run the ball twice and then run four verticals and then the pass protection is gonna break down. Then you just have to figure out something from there, you know. I mean, that's kind of what it looked like today against San Francisco. I don't know how much of the game you caught. It was vintage, Russ. It oh, was good. beautiful. The, the, the touch, he had to break like three would have been sacks to throw that third touchdown of the game. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And then a, a broken play, like long rushing score. I'm not sold that that offense is a lot better than it was last year. Although they're they're putting Russ in a better position to succeed than previously, which is like, I think everyone's complaint about Seattle has been Pete Carroll wants to run it like it's 2005 with Reggie Bush mm-hmm. and you have a Hall of Fame quarterback under center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I'll probably watch that game hopefully tomorrow sometime. I try to watch as many condensed games as possible and watch at least like the last you know two or three weeks worth for the preview podcast. Um, but yeah, I, could, I, I think that's a good answer too. And I'm still kind of like Dable. I'm still kind of surprised that mm-hmm. you know, both – both Brady and, and Dable didn't get head coaching jobs last year, but they'll for sure get them this year. I think the same thing with the enemy as well, too. Didn't Dable decline an interview with Houston, or was that a rumor? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I know, like, I, the only rumor I really remember from last year was the enemy where he wanted control in the roster, and they told him no. And so then he kind of stayed back and didn't go anywhere. But I don't know if they even interviewed Dable at all. Do we do we think Coley coaches a second season? I would think so. You know, I feel so bad for the guy. I really like him personally. Yeah. Every interview, it's like I love you, David Coley. Like I, I hope we win every game, but he's been put in a bad spot. Yeah, I agree with that too. I think he's just like here as like a, you know, like a lifetime achievement award. He's here to try to fix the culture and get people happier about Texans football and that sort of thing, but. He's by no means like a long-term option or, or somebody who's going to be here for, you know, a while after that. But if he stays next year, I think this is going to be his last year. I think he's only going to be here for two years at most. It's kind of like you mentioned I, too, like they have a, it's, it takes a long, like they don't really admit their failures at all. You know, like they fail to admit their own failures. Kind of like we saw with like keeping David Johnson this year and all these restructured con- contracts, that sort of thing too. So I think they'll probably keep calling around for one more season. What about you? I, I would agree. I would expect it to be two or three years. I just really hope it doesn't mess with the development of whatever quarterback we take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like Kelly's done a pretty good job like with Taylor's offense. Mills is just so limited. The running game's bad that it's hard to really like fault uh, Tim Kelly for what's happening with it. But yeah, I think with what he did with Tyrod Taylor, I, I trust Kelly could do something good for you know rookie quarterback yep. too. Um yeah. So that's our show for tonight. What are you riding this week? If you have any time to ride anything, I know you have a test this week. Um, and, and, and also, where can we find you on the internet to make sure we read your stuff next time you have a chance to write something? 
We'll see. I, I did a quick breakdown on not breakdown, just some quick thoughts on Davis Mills today and how it's a it's a colossal failure that he's even out there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Texans Doc, and if I if I do feel so called, the Lord and Jack Easterby uh, calling me to write something, I may have some words this week. But otherwise, I'll be trying to pass my neuroscience exam. <laughs> yeah, some there's always uh, a lot more important things than. Texans football and and that's uh, even more true. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll have my eyes out for it. That entropy thing that you wrote earlier this year was really good. Uh, I always kind of I don't get I, I miss a lot of stuff because I try to stay off the internet as much as possible. But everything I've read from you, I've always enjoyed. And also, John writes for the Toro Times as well. And so, if you need to find his stuff, it's on there. Is that what it's I called, will. or is it SI Daily? Yeah, the Texans Wire. Texans Wire. That's it. There's so many of them nowadays. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of different yeah, outlets. Yeah, so that's the USA thank- Today version, right? Yes, yeah, it's the, the USA one. My well, bad. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I know, I know SI is the Toro Times, I guess. And then we're Battle Red Blog, SB Nation, and then there's Texans Wire. Yeah, and there's like so many different independent people doing their thing. Mm-hmm. It's good. It is the, good. The fan base is better when there's more angles on what's going on. I like it. For sure. We've definitely found our niche of just... Um, you know, try, being realistic, and then you see so much positivity that makes you, you know, just more pessimistic. You know, so but we're we do what we, what we do as well too. But I'll be on the lookout like for it. it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you're able to write something this week, or or to celebrate passing your test on Friday by writing something next week, and the Texans score at least seven points for you. I I can only hope. Can only <laughs> hope. Well, uh, until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Balrod Radio. We may do another show this week, just like recapping the, the first quarter of the season, kind of like a more broader picture. And then, of course, we'll have the preview show on Friday morning for you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.